Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. I'm Jamel Zanishef, and you're listening to Brew Strong on the Network.com. I'm here today with my good friend, travel companion, award-winning brewer, Travis Comble. How's it going, brother? Doing fine. Thank you, Jamel. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Ready for another beer. Ah! What are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking Enjoy By, which I, I think... Have they, have they changed hands? Has some changed hands or something? Because some of the beers they have on your favorite app, Untapped, mm. say the Arrogant Consortia. <laughs> I thought that was like me and my buddies, but, you know, I don't know. You guys are arrogant sums. You know it. Yeah, that's <laughs> an understatement. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, wasn't there some sort of news? Something, they got some investment or something? I don't know. Uh, maybe so. I don't know. I guess I got busy. I, I, I can't keep track of all that. Same. What I am having is a collab with Elusive Brewing ah. in England. We went and made a jam. Oh. And uh, this is, I think, I don't want to get this wrong because I'm, I'm pretty sure Mitch shipped me when, when we did the collab at Stone, the uh, unapologetic. He He shipped me beer. And I don't want to offend anybody else that may have shipped me beer, but uh, I think most of the time when I've done collabs with people, they don't, they don't bother to get me any of the beer. <laughs> I mean, if it's down the street, they don't bring me any beer. They don't ship it to me. I've, you know, it's like you can show up in our tap room and and you know and and buy a pint. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, this Andy and Elusive people talking about him as the nicest person in brewing. And I tell you, he really is. He had a buddy of his mule it out to California so I could have some. Now, how about that? Is that what you've been drinking all evening? No. Okay, because your glass has been dark. This is the first time I've I've had it, actually. Oh, wow. It's a nice head. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> it's so, uh, it's not... You said that was made in England? Yes. So English ale yeast, or do they use like... You know, years old Chico or something. I forget what yeast we use, but uh, he will absolutely tell you. Makes me want to brew a Janet's with a, like a, an English ale yeast. But uh, we used, uh, you know, some modern hop products in it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's got a different kind of hobby. So Janet's Brown <clears throat> goes back to the Cascade and Columbus and Centennial type of hops it's you know sea yeah. hops it's you know fairly fairly brown um and bitter and, and all that and 
this is a more modern take on the hops. Yeah, it's really nice. They brew some great beer at Elusive. If you, if you're ever out there, you need to you need to get you some Elusive. Do you remember what the uh, what the uh, hop products were that you used? I'm challenging my and by hop products, I'm assuming you mean. And I'm kind of asking because Patrick's in, in the chat talking about uh, hop ash, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is and we've, we've had hop ash for quite a while, and I, and I used to I, I still do use Idaho Seven hop ash. In one of my beers, I, I like what it does, but there's so many products these days. You did a show recently with uh Scott uh Janish on that, right? Let's see here. I'm pulling up the uh, God bless him, he even did a 20 liter version. So, if you're in the UK, you can actually get this recipe kit for oh, the, nice. from uh, the malt miller. Let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. So Used uh, a Simpsons, a low color Simpsons. We used uh, some dextrin malt, light crystal, Simpsons light crystal, Simpsons malted wheat, Simpsons chocolate malt. The hops were uh, Cascade, Northern Brewer, Cascade Ad during the mash, Northern Brewer during the boil, 60 minutes, Northern Brewer uh, boiled 15 minutes, Cascade during the boil, 10 minutes, and cascade at the end of the boil some hop unlock and some centennial lupo max uh in the uh dry hop i know lupo max but unlock i'm not familiar with and uh and you, and you mash hop mash yes hop. that was something tasty like to do i mean i could rattle off the whole recipe if you think it's useful or you check out the malt miller and there you go what yeast again? Oh, uh, yeast did we use? <laughs> Is it in here? So I, I asked because the whole mash hopping thing, I hear about it around uh, biotransforming yeasts. And, you know, mash hopping unlocks somehow bound yeah. bios. I don't know how much is true or not, but usually it's used around biotransforming yeasts. And a lot of the Biotransforming yeast that we're aware of are English ale yeast. So that would be a very interesting genus. Should have all that going on. But it sounds like it's a tasty beer either way. And I wish I knew. I wish I knew how tasty it was. Let's see here. He was talking about, I can't remember. We were talking about thialized yeast. We're talking about Omega Star Party, which is a model yeah. Chico. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense for, for the whole match shopping. But um, they are not allowed to use uh, GMO uh, products. Uh, so he was talking about WLP 77. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, on the hop, hop, hop unlock, which is the, uh, the yeast we use. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, which is a product from WHC Lab. I kind of keep up with one thing in my life, and it's kind of beer. It's not the family. It's not the friends. It's kind of beer. I've never heard of Hop Unlock <laughs> as a yeast. I, I'll have to look into that. Maybe we'll do a show. There you go. Uh, or your friend John Blickman uses uh, Hop Unlock. It is a naturally cultivated thiol-producing liquid yeast containing enzymes that can help release bound thiols from hops and malt. More powerful aromas and flavors being unlocked and can open up with a much wider array of brewing options with less costly hop varieties. There you go. Yeah, I've 
I bet you, you know, our good buddy uh, John Blickman knows a thing or two about Hop Unlock or anything else. You know, that that dude knows everything, uh, something about everything. He's one smart guy. He makes great products. Well, he does. And what's amazing about him is just the way his brain works uh, as an engineer in creating uh, new products. And, you know, he, so there's a lot of people who create brewing products that don't brew, but he, he, he actually brews himself. He uses the products that he makes. And then he's like, I don't like this, or I want to change this, or I want to make this even better. And so he's constantly updating and innovating, you know, uh, a more innovative guy in equipment. I think the the brewing world would be completely different if it wasn't for John Blickman. Now there's other equipment companies that have, you know, started creating new things, but I think, you know, he was kind of that on the forefront of really pushing instead of just making the same thing, the, the same usual equipment, it's like, I'm going to make new equipment. I'm going to make something completely different. Um, so he was an engineer at Caterpillar. And, you know, that's some serious engineers over there. And he took that, his, his God-given abilities, and has produced some amazing stuff. So check them out, BlickmanEngineering.com. They're, they've been sponsoring us for 15-plus years. Check them out. If you don't mind, send them an email. Feedback at Blickman Engineering. Tell them, thank you, John Blickman, for paying for the show so i don't have to if you get anything of any value <laughs> take five minutes of your time it doesn't even take five minutes two minutes of your time rattle off a quick email saying thank you very much i appreciate it if you just do that for me i would i would be thankful because a uh, guy deserves a little praise for for sticking with us this long uh, it's a great guy check him out blickmanengineering.com all right let's do this let's take a short break and when we come back, we will uh, get in on questions right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're uh, doing a live QA. I'm here with my good buddy Travis Combo uh, out in the Houston area. Award-winning homebrewer, tremendous friend, travel companion, you know, all the good stuff. All right. I figured we'd jump right in with a with a tough one here. Um, 
Clayton. Uh, he says, it's a local homebrew shop, Windsor, Costa Mesa, and Anaheim locations. <clears throat> Those are all in Southern California, by the way. Is doing a Highland Park Timbo Pills, IPL, an India Pale Lager contest. HPB and Windsor are selling every contestant the same five-gallon kit. I've been listening to the BN for over a decade, so it's a cinch, right? Nope. The batch, 1055 calls for a soft lager 3470 and i read an article that used the same stuff so i want to know how you use it and again this is january 2022 so i probably missed the contest but i'm not that far behind uh i've already brewed the beer plenty of butter i knew better but the recipe they give written by highland park makes it sound so easy i use two 11 and a half gram packs which your mr multi calculator says is great but i've heard a podcast with somebody at Danstar, and she ran several tests with varying gravity and pitch rates, and most off flavors came in under threshold. My butter butter, butter was not below threshold. Haha. <laughs> she said that the dry yeast has a high sterols, and they don't recommend oxygenating or rehydration on the initial pitch. Just pitch the right amount. Island Park recommended a lot of zinc, which you echoed in your article. Not a lot of zinc. Right. It's a tiny bit. That's a lot. It's a, it's a microscopic amount. Yeah. I pitched at like 52, I assume Fahrenheit, held for two days, then rose two-ish, again, I assume Fahrenheit per day, to 65, where I racked to a keg to dry hop. Diacetyl rest and hop creep rest for three days, then dropped like eight degrees a day to 40 degrees. Again, I assume Fahrenheit. This question is, do you rehydrate? Do you do a starter? When is it best to oxygenate if I rehydrate and then when and when oxygenate if I don't? How does dry hopping affect your lagering schedule? You mentioned recirculating your hops for three hours and getting rid of the hops. Don't the hops have to settle first or do you filter them somehow? Should I follow your calculator or pitch more? I was thinking of going with three to four packs instead of two or just go with a liquid version and do a starter and oxygenate. I know you said one question. I'm sorry, but I either <laughs> going to rebrew this upcoming weekend or brew a different lager because I'm not a mosaic hop fan and I want your help. I did already get rid of the yeast from that batch, so repitching isn't an option. Hugs and kisses, Clayton. Well, Clayton. All right. So he has a spare bottle to send in from 2022, maybe. Right. The diacetyl uh, might have settled out by now. So Here's here's the thing. The Mr. Malt calculator. So every time, you know, someone from Dan Star or somebody from White Labs, or somebody from Y Yeast, or somebody from Imperial, or somebody from any of the yeast companies says, Hey, we did these tests and this is what we found. It's like I'm I'm really happy for you that you did your tests in your lab with fresh yeast and that gave you a certain result. I 100% believe you, and I'm, I guarantee you they're not lying to you. They're telling you the truth. They are trying to help people as much as possible. The reality is, though, that I wish all the people producing yeast would, would you know, keep in mind is that their yeast, like when you send out beer as a commercial brewer, it gets abused. So. It gets shipped to, you know, a homebrew shop. Not all of them are as good as, you know, the, the greatest homebrew shops. 
some of them it's one person working they're slammed you know it's totally busy a box of yeast comes in and it sits there and i've been in homebrew shops where there's a box of you know it's 110 degrees inside the shop and there's a box of yeast sitting there and it is all 100% room temperature. Eventually it makes it into the fridge. Sometimes I'll open up one of these fridges, I'll reach inside and it's hot inside. It's not cooling at all. Something went wrong with their fridge. Who knows when, but it hasn't been, you know, fixed and, you know, that's an issue. So it can uh, impact the viability of the yeast. It can in, impact, uh, you know, the dry yeasts are pretty durable, but even then, you know, you know, storing them in a refrigerator extends the life and a lot of homebrew shops don't. They just sit out there hot. So the Mr. Multi-Calculator, the reason I have that the way I have it is because if you follow that, you will always get good results. And, you know, there's there's times when now, if the yeast is totally dead, there's nothing I can do to help you there. But generally, the way viability works, and, and when I did that, I went out and bought samples of yeast from all over the place, checked it out. I, and I went to some homebrew shops where their yeast had hit their expiry date, and I asked them if I could take it and if they'd give it to me. I, they did. I told them what I was doing, and we did all sorts of testing and came up with this formula that if you follow it, it's going to work. You're going to you're going to get good results. You're not going to waste the, the rest of your ingredients. So that's why that one is going to err on the side of more yeast. Now, if the Mr. Malty one tells you two 11 and a half ground packs are enough, then I would not go to three or four 11 and a half gram packs. It's going to be too much. Would you hurt your beer? Probably not. You have to put a lot of yeast in a beer in order to overpitch. It's very difficult to overpitch. It's possible, but it's, it's difficult. So I wouldn't just do that. I think your your issue is probably somewhere else. Let's see. He says, do you rehydrate? Yes, I do. They say, oh, you don't really need to. Maybe they've come up with some new miracle way of making yeast that doesn't help things when you rehydrate. But they're saying you don't need to because they're saying you don't need as much yeast as you say they need. But if someone's following your calculator and you say they need two packs, they need two healthy packs or two packs on that day, not right. two packs that were thrown into work with all these, you know, all this osmotic pressure, et cetera. Right. Right. Because what I've seen and I, I, I saw from uh, Clayton Cohn, I think he said that you lose about 50% of the yeast um, when you, uh, just sprinkle it on the work. They said that they've, you know, improved things so it, you know, they don't lose 50%. So I don't know. I, I still think it's such a simple thing to do to rehydrate your yeast. Do you um, want to guess how much you lost or do you just want to do it the right way? Right. Do you do a starter? If I was using dry yeast and I had the right amount, I rehydrated, I would not do a starter with it. I would not, uh, if I was using, let's see here, when is best to oxygenate if I rehydrate and when uh, to oxygenate if I don't? Again, they say you don't need oxygen even. I would oxygenate just before pitching the yeast. Right. Especially with the lager, right? In there and I just pour the, pour the yeast in. Right. How does dry hopping affect your lagering schedule? Uh, well, if you want to dry hop at a specific temperature, then you 
can, you know, dry hop at that point, whenever, whatever your, your chilling schedule is. So if you want to dry hop at 40 degrees Fahrenheit, well, then you can wait till you get to 40 degrees Fahrenheit and then dry hop. If you want to dry hop at 65 Fahrenheit and after your diacetyl rest or anywhere in between, you could do that. The, uh, the, the, the thing that really kind of messes with people in dry hopping is if you want to repitch your yeast and not having a bunch of dry hops in your yeast. So that's kind of the only thing. So follow your calculator, pitch more, follow the calculator. There you go. And then getting back to zinc, not a lot of zinc, a small amount. Of, we, I think we did a show about zinc and how much zinc and all that. If not, we'll do another one because people keep asking a lot of questions about zinc. Well, over um, zinc would um, under attenuate more so than the butter issue, right? Yeah, it well, it it uh, will. The yeast drops out. It it is um, harmful to the yeast. So a high zinc environment, it would be like adding too much, too much of, you know, copper or too much, you know, any mineral. No idea what too much copper my beer would do. So I, I saw one thing in there, Jamil, and, and, and I only think of this because of you. He did a diacetyl rest, not a diacetyl test. Mm. Nice. Right? Right. I mean, I was afraid of a diacetyl test until you said, you got to do it. Yes. I had a string of, of loggers, and now my diacetyl test broke. It's not that big a deal. For, for, right. Fortunately for me, I've got the old white labs of tubes, mm-hmm. the vials. Mm-hmm. And so I'll pull samples. I'll put, you know, one room temp, one, one at 160, and I do it for all my loggers. Right. And I get diacetyl, then I wait a day or two, and yeah. I get no you diacetyl. Open, you open the cap up, give it a snap, yeah. and... Damn. And you you smell butter, and it's like, oh, so my diacetyl rest isn't complete yet. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I say correct. Sorry, because I learned it from you. But that's what I saw in his, in, in in Clayton's Clayton, right? Clayton's notes is that he does a diacetyl rest, right. but not a diacetyl test. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's it's- excellent. Uh, so glad you brought that up because I I missed that. Yes, you definitely want to do a diacetyl test, forced ferments and diacetyl tests. They're so easy and they cost essentially nothing to do. You know, you have a, a 50 mil screw cap container, you know, uh, you know, and you can do a diacetyl, uh, a diacetyl test. And I'll tell you whether you got uh, diacetyl in there. The other thing is, boy, you see what temperature he started at? He said he started oh, at 52. Low. 52. Yeah. Not low for loggers, but low for IPL. Right. But I mean, that's, that should be fine, right? I mean, he's got good fermentation. It, he didn't say what his, what his final gravity uh, was, did he? No, he did not. Because that would tell us if the beer finished well, which again goes back to zinc and or right. fermentation profile, his temperature. You know, a uh, lot of times... I, I bet he rebrewed it by now and he made a great beer. <laughs> he probably won. And Clayton should write back to us and tell us how good that... Well, write back to you. And tell us how how good that that brew was. And we don't know what we're talking about. And send a bottle in so we can taste it. <laughs> uh, let's see here. All right, we're doing on time. Uh, doing all right. He's asking about brewing non-alcoholic beers. Hey, my brewing brothers. I wonder if you could steer me in the right direction. Unfortunately, late last fall, I was struck down by a viral pneumonia. Oh no, viral phenomena. 
that attacked my heart, and now I suffer from congestive heart failure at the young age of 45. Oh, sorry to hear that, brother. As you can imagine, I can no longer drink my homebrew or much alcoholic beer since I am restricted to a low-sodium diet, which also includes a very low amount of alcohol that I can consume. Sucks, yes, but out of the homebrew hobby, maybe not. I noticed several craft non-alcoholic beers are starting to show up at our local beer stores and was wondering if it's possible to still brew from home, but instead of the high octane stuff, could I create a low version that will make me make my, make me happy as well as my doctor? Is it just a simple matter of turning up the heat after fermentation to burn off the alcohol, or is there a trick in creating a non-alcoholic beverage we could do at home? Any advice would be helpful. Thanks for all the wonderful information you have provided me in the past. Let's hope that I can still enjoy this wonderful hobby in the future. Might not be able to drink those beers you are eloquently describing your podcast, but at least I can still imagine them one by one. Cheers, Ed in Springfield, Illinois. Uh, Ed, yeah, the 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 way to go about it. So there's, we actually did a show on non-alcoholic beers, producing non-alcoholic beers should be somewhere in the archives. It's all available still, all all for free, thanks to Blickman Engineering. You, but you know, for a home brewer, the easiest way is perhaps to. Uh, I was just talking to the folks at Oak Park Brewing. And, you know, the way that they were doing theirs is 180 degrees Fahrenheit on their mash temp. So they're mashing at 180 degrees Fahrenheit and then uh, fermenting. And then you could water down to get the alcohol level less, or you can uh, heat it up depending on how much alcohol is in there. And if it's too much for you, you could heat it up and drive off the alcohol that way. You have to get it to like about 175 Fahrenheit before the, the, the ethanol will evaporate. But the problem with that is the beer kind of tastes cooked. If you're real delicate with it, if you do it under vacuum, if you can pull a vacuum, it makes it even, you can go with much lower temperature and it comes off much faster. So there's charts out there to tell you what, how much, if you're pulling how much vacuum, how much heat you need to apply, but that'll work too. And then you don't have to apply as much heat. And that works well. If you just use straight heat at atmospheric pressure, it tastes cooked. So, you know, heat staling is what we call it. You got any thoughts on that? Yeah, unfortunately, I don't. Because, I mean, I wish I did have something to add to it. I mean, athletics out there making a straight line of non-alcoholics. And I haven't uh, haven't looked into what they were doing. I, I did read Ed's question in advance. Thanks for it to me. And I wish I had advice for Ed on how to handle that, but I just don't. Yeah, they have, you know, there's machines that, uh, there's vacuum stills mm -hmm. that are set up to, to do it, like I mentioned. Okay. And there's also um, membrane. That makes a flavor. So does that make a, ah, uh, membrane sounds like a good idea. So essentially like an RO membrane. And, and what it does is filter out uh, the water and alcohol or the alcohol and takes, you know, the alcohol out leaves behind most of the water and all the flavor compounds. And then right. you water that resultant thing that you collected. You water that back to tasting normal, right? And then the alcohol is out of it. Your buddy, John Blitman needs to sell one of these membranes. <laughs> I, actually, I actually took a look online and you can actually buy the membranes. Um, oh. 
they're pretty expensive, but you can buy these, these membranes that will, um, you know, separate out alcohol. And okay. then it's just a matter of producing enough pressure to force right. the liquid across it. And, you know, right. it's not a, yeah. it's so between uh, polar and pressure and molecule size, I mean, water's polar, alcohol's not. Yeah. What, where do all the flavor compounds land? And of course, some of the flavor compounds are more like an alcohol. Mm-hmm. And getting a balance on that. So but seriously, if John did it, it'd be affordable and it'd work better. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, Will, he says he's a brewing noob. He says, hey, guys, love the show. I'm still new to brewing. Well, and five years later, you're not. Still new to brewing, still doing extract. I just finished listening to the adjunct show and have a question. If I don't have a handful of grain to add to the mini mash to help the conversion of my adjunct, can I use some extract and how much? Thanks in advance, guys. Keep up the good work and brew strong. Uh, no, you cannot. Uh, I was going with no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could be wrong here, but um, the no diastatic power left in have the no diastatic power whatsoever. Yes. Because right, um, yeah. it, it does get boiled, it does get uh, concentrated. Um, Denatured. Yeah. So it's denatured yeah. the enzymes, so that won't work. It, it, it's the enzymes in there. You could, instead of you know worrying about the handful of grain, you can actually buy uh, enzymes. You could buy a you know an alpha amylase or a beta amylase, and you can actually just you know throw a few drops in there with your mini mash, and and that would work. That's probably probably the best way. Um, yeah, if if you you know have a handful of a uh, grain to add, you know, with a high diastatic power to add to your, your adjuncts and all that, that'll, that'll break it down too. But these days of enzymes and bottles, <laughs> I think you probably could just go that route. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it's been five years, but John was definitely talking about it a few years back. And when John was talking about him, I couldn't find them, but you can find them now. Right. There are crazy amount of enzymes out there now. I mean, I, I've got a brute enzyme in my fridge. I'm almost afraid to use it. <laughs> I think it's going to suck the protein out of everything in my house. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, and well, that's, that's an outstanding concept. If you, you don't that. enjoy your protein being sucked, then <laughs> avoid the enzymes. <laughs> Classic. Excellent. <laughs> Yep, that's why they pay me the big money. Absolutely. That's why I stick around. Speaking <laughs> uh, of big money, you know, if you go to brewchatter.com, you don't have to spend big money because they have reasonable pricing on all their ingredients. It's all fresh. They got an excellent selection. Our good friends at brewchatter.com, they're they're out there, uh, they got a physical store there in Sparks, Nevada. It's right next to Reno. If you're if you're ever up there, you got to check it out. Uh, wonderful, wonderful location. They got their own little mini bar in there with uh, you know local brews on tap. It's a it's a one of the best homebrew shop experiences I've ever had. And Josh and RJ, wonderful folks uh, that you should you should get to know if you enjoy homebrewing. Check them out, uh, brewchatter.com. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like 
Wine Guys, Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking uh, all your Q&A questions. Keep sending them in to uh, brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com. Or if you listen live, you can just ask them right in the chat, and we will uh, will get right on those things. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Rob in Lone Pine. He asks, uh, I'm about six months behind on shows, so forgive me if this has been done. I'm a little perplexed by how the BJCP entry beers are processed, judged, and ranked. I'm not a BJCP judge, but I have just started entering beers. My 2015 beers earned 41 points and 39 points at the LA County Fair and 42, 38 points at a small regional fair. So very consistent, 41, 42, 39, 38. This is great, but I didn't place. I later learned that my group was sorted into a much broader category, which encompassed IPAs with barley wines, and the barley wines took first, second, and best in show. I thought each BJCP category was given individual merit, but with such judging methods, how can lighter beer styles ever compete against the bold and the beautiful? I'm hoping Jay-Z and JP can provide tips, tricks, and the, the dirty on America's beer competitions and how to win. Love always, Rob and Lone Pine. Travis, you're, you're entering competitions currently. How, how much of this category combining do you see? It's, it's it, it depends on the side of, of the competition, obviously. It happens all the time. I mean, for instance, uh, sorry, uh, gentleman's name, uh, um, Rob. Rob. Yeah. So, Rob, I mean, I've got various medals for my double IPA. I lose most often to my own barley wine. Now, that's double IPA, not IPA. How do I know what would happen if they combine those two tables? I don't know. You, you kind of like, okay, that's a small competition. Let me go for that one and get medals. I'm not saying you did that, but I might do something like that. They're going to combine tables often, unfortunately. I, I honestly think they shouldn't for smaller uh, competitions, but they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's perfectly legit on their end. Seems to me if they bought 38 sets of medals they should award 38 sets of medals um i feel your pain i really do jamil i mean is there any i mean you've been on the pro level we've been on the pro level when there's thousands of entries and they say no gold and the whole auditorium booze mm-hmm. so how do you i mean i know it happens it, it, it is legit that it happens but nobody likes it except for the, i guess the pe- people who do the judging who feel they need to combine it um I got passion over here. You might have facts and better input. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. So when you're running a competition, if you need to set up another table and another set of judges, mm-hmm. it can be difficult because you're 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 counting on volunteers to come mm-hmm. in and yeah, do the judging. Yeah, yeah. And it's not that you know they don't want to. It's that it would make the competition unable to you know go forward because. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden you you need to increase it, and you don't have that many entries. It, and let's say that there's, I mean, at what point do you do you cut it off? Let's say, oh, I've got you know, uh, you know, seven and you know six. Yeah. I got a, a flight of seven. I got a flight of six. I'm going to combine them into a thirteen, which is pretty much the maximum that 
that you're supposed to be allowed to do. I'll combine that into a 13. Mm -hmm. I personally think you should keep that a seven and a six. Okay. So we're on the same page. Well, 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 let's say. But, but. You you have a a, a category of nine or 10, and you have a category of one. Should the one be judged all by itself? Should you should you seat three more judges and judge the one beer on its own and decide gold. whether it's metal worthy or not? It's gold. Or, or <laughs> right. Do they get a win for being the only entry? Or should it be combined with a category the closest category they could find since it's only one beer and it and it just needs to go in this other category? If you run a race and you're you're the only person running the race <laughs> and you, you win, right? You come in for well. Let's see. I'm pretty sure let's you see, win. Let's say you complete the race. At my what age, you don't. At my <laughs> age and weight, maybe I don't. You know, <laughs> do I get a participation you, medal if I don't cross the finish line? You, you get you get the free shirt and some beers if you make it there. You know, call the Uber to bring you to end so you get the free beers. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so, so, I'm sorry. We we've argued his point, not 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 against no, his point. Unfortunately, right. it's. But it happens. It happens. I would like to see them do it only in more extreme circumstances. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe maybe the BJCP should come up with a ruling saying, look, you know, if you've got five entries, you know, run it as a separate category or something. Right. I think Um, there is a rule and it allows for it. And and the, 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 the concept of the one entry is extreme. The reality might be three to five, but but I've I, never run across a competition only had three to five IPAs. Come on, three right. to five IPAs. Well, IPAs, um, yeah. right? You oh, know, oh. might have might have been you know triple IPA that got. And generally, what they do is like triple well, IPA ends up in barley IPA. wine or double IPA or whatever ends up in barley wine. It does. Yeah, twenty two is is, is twenty two is double IPA barley wine, American strong ale, maybe one more. Right. Twenty one is almost every single variation of IPA. Mm-hmm. And any specialty IPA, double, right. triple, single session falls into 21. So a lot of times those will get mixed in with the regular IPAs. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. that a problem? Right. They're all IPAs. Right. So but I'll, yeah. I'll see it very frequently is something like light American lager gets mixed mm-hmm. in with all the other lagers. Or there, tends, there tends not to be that many loggers in most competitions. Right. And that's so a bigger they, crime to me. They all get, you know, compacted into one category. Yeah. That's so a shame. it's just, you know, if if we could pay judges and there was a limitless supply of judges and time and, and, and money, then I, you know, this wouldn't happen. But it's just, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of the nature of the beast. It's unfortunate. Yeah. And I think the thing to do, though, is, you know, brew a fantastic beer to where knowledgeable judges cannot, you know, I, I've been in, in in competitions, judging competitions where I'm like, this is perfect. I know, you know, it's, you know, uh, light American lager and it's in the IPA category, but damn, that's perfect. And, you know, that's the winner. And mm-hmm you know judges will 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 pick them out so the other thing is 41 points 39 points yeah that's good yeah that's but good scoring sheets if, if it's if it's a good size competition the winners are probably you know 45 40 46 you know yeah. somewhere around there 
So that's a higher score, but yeah, you know, it goes to 50. So there, right. you know, you're, you're, you're 20% off of the, you know, of, of the top there. So, you know, and, and the other, the other side of that is unfortunately a 40, a 40 point IPA goes against a 35 point IPA that wasn't quite the style sometimes, mm-hmm. but was really damn tasty. Mm-hmm. Because in the second round, they don't have to judge against style necessarily. They should. Well, they do. There's no score mm-hmm. sheet. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't I don't think, I mean, I'd, I'd love to have this guy's beer. I'd love to have it. I mean, 40-point averaging IPA, I'm all about it. But, I mean, barley wine, can you beat it? You can beat it. It depends on the judges. depends on the beer. There tends to be far better IPAs out there than barley wines. A lot of barley wines are not well brewed. Right. Yeah. Age hides half the flaws, not all the flaws. <laughs> there you go. All right. Let's see here. Yeah. Attenuation so, questions. Simon asks, hey guys, I, I am having a problem with my beer's attenuation attenuation completely. Attenuating completely. Come on, you guys need to uh, proofread your your questions. These are your worshippers, Jamil. Be nice to them. (laughs) I have a Vienna lager I'm fermenting right now, and my final gravity has been holding steady at 1018. I'd like to get it down to 1012 like the recipe says. Uh, The recipe was taken from Jamil's Vienna lager, but I had to use a couple of different items because my homebrew store... Uh, didn't have some items. Recipe ingredients: uh, malt, four pounds Pilsner extract, six pounds Munich grains, uh, two ounces Craft Special Two, Saz, one and a half ounce Saz, half ounce Imperial yeast, Global mashed at one fifty-two for one hour and twenty minutes. Did an iodine test. Do you recall your Vienna recipe close enough to notice the differences? Because I didn't. Pull it out. Yeah, it's close enough, I guess. Original gravity is 1052. Pitch the yeast at 55 degrees, I assume Fahrenheit. Oxygen with pure O2 for 90 seconds. Fermented at 52. I did the D rest when gravity dropped to 1021. 75% of fermentation done. That's the thing that jumps out to me the most. The Croissant dropped at 65 degrees. Fahrenheit. I waited two to three de- days to check the gravity. I had a lot of my beers stop at 1018 or so and not reach the final gravity it was supposed to be. What am I doing wrong? Any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, Simon. Would you bring your lager that warm that soon? Well, I don't think that's the issue because the, 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 uh, the hotter and the sooner you get it hot, the um more it's going to attenuate generally okay unless you get too okay. you get like up in the 90s and then it shuts okay down. thing here is um he says i've had a lot of my beers stop at 1018 or so yeah that's what that's right. curious also right that seems kind of odd right and so it makes me think you know one i would Anytime you're having troubles with your 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 brews, one of the first things to do is 
validate your your the equipment you're measuring with. So, mm-hmm. for example, your hydrometer, you know, put it in in water. Doesn't even need to be distilled water unless the water that comes out of your tap is so. <laughs> it should be within so the point of one, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, you're going to be one point or one point oh one plus or minus the error on your and, and check, check your hydrometer at temperature and 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 check to see if it's close to zero with water if it's not that is an issue you know where, where your your reading is way off you could be off you know 006 on on your hydrometer pretty easy as that gets tapped the paper in the thing uh, move up and down uh. right so the way you correct it is you can try and carefully tap 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 well, one way or the other and the paper will slide and you can adjust your 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 hydrometer that way it's rare that you see them that far off usually they're off just by you know a point or two and you can yep. you know, either just make a note of it or you know correct it that it would be off six would be extreme what he should be doing which you mentioned earlier was uh do a, a force ferment so when you when you get your your wort set up set some aside pitch a bunch of yeast in it and see if you can get uh get your get your uh your you know do a force ferment and then measure that and if that is turning out to be 10 12 then you have a problem with your other parts of your brewing so you're not enough oxygen, not enough yeast, not enough healthy yeast. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, maybe, you know, he says he did an iodine test. I was thinking, you know, that, that Munich, he, he just ended up with a bunch of, you know, unfermented starches or un, unconverted starches. And maybe that was part of the problem, but he says he did an so iodine test. Is six pounds Munich that much higher than, uh, I mean, four pounds pills or extract is maybe five pounds pills malt. Six pounds Munich versus five pounds pills malt. Again, I didn't bring up your recipe. I'm not saying I've ever seen it because I've seen your recipe, but I, I just didn't compare it. But Munich is is, is relatively highly fermentable, right? It will self convert. Um, it, it, okay. it does have diastatic power, but uh-huh. less than oh crap. So and, and his base malt's extract, right? But he said so that's not he that was, diastatic power. Okay. Yeah, he said he he iodine test did a mash at 152 for an hour and 20 minutes and then did an iodine test and i'm assuming the iodine test told him it was all converted right 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 so i i I can't think that was the problem sounds like he's doing all the right stuff oxygen everything else it all seems like i've i've not used the global yeast so i don't know about that but I think again, the thing to do in this case would be to do a force ferment. You do the force ferment, that's going to tell you what it can attenuate to. Usually general fermentation will, will be short a couple of points from that. And, you know, if, if your force ferment turns out to be 1016 or 1017, you know, you're, you're attenuating all the way and it's a recipe adjustment that you need to do. He also doesn't mention where that Pilsner extract comes from. So some of the extracts are less fermentable than others. It depends right. on how the manufacturer set it up. So it could be that it just won't ferment. And what you should be adding is, you know, a different extract, or you should add some simple sugars or something to get it to attenuate down if you want it to attenuate further. Yeah, 1018 is is a bit high, but 
I imagine it's it's probably not that far off. It may be the combination of things. I dramed her off a little bit, and uh, you know, it didn't attenuate fully, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So you're you're closer than you think. Uh, but again, do a forced ferment first thing. And if the forced ferment tells you that it should be getting down to 1012 or you know 1010 or something like that, and it's not, then you got to start looking at some of these other things that should get you there. All right, let's do uh, one more short break. When we come back, we'll wrap up with a couple of your, more of your questions right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're doing uh, your Q&A questions. If you send in your questions to brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com, we will answer them. Eventually, we will answer them. Uh, or you can listen live like uh, Patrick did, and you can you can ask and interact with your hosts during the show. Ask your questions right there. Never met Patrick, but I think he's a really cool guy. I mean, Patrick's one of my favorite people in the world. I got to admit, you know, he brews incredible beer. He's uh, generous with his time, knowledgeable, really good looking guy, you know, handsome, generous, kind, kind to a fault. Yeah. You know, Patrick. That's outstanding. Really is. Apparently he lives in Nebraska. So is he that far? Where's uh, where's Bookman at? In Indiana. All right. I'm lost. Sorry. I know where Houston is. They're both in the Um, United States, if that helps. Maybe that much, too. It does help. It does help. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry. All right. Uh, Let's see here. Ben, he says, hey, guys. First of all, you guys are badasses. Second, I have to thank you guys for all the awesome free information and dick jokes I heard over listening to pretty much all of your episodes in the last six months. And lastly, I'd love to ask a favor. And sadly, no, it is not a sexual favor. Dang it. But beer related. As I just found out, I can go and live and work in Australia for a year and decided I better before I get too old. Anyway, I was wondering if you guys have any connections for a job in maybe the hop farms down there or a homebrew shop or brewery. Any help would be amazing. Brew strong, Ben. I hope he's not still holding out. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe maybe he, he went down to uh, Australia and, you know, he got taken away by a dingo. You know, maybe his baby got taken by a dingo. Um, <laughs> I bring this up just because one, I, I promise to answer every question, and two, I think it may be helpful for other people that are also in a similar situation and they're they're looking for you know you know a way to find you know possible jobs or whatever. And so, couple of things. One, which he did is reach out to everybody, you know, and tell them you're looking for a job in Australia, social media, all your friends, 
just let everybody know. Here's what I'm planning on doing. If you happen to know anybody, let me know. And you'd be shocked at how many people will, you know, come and tell you. It's like, yep, yep, I know this guy. I know that guy. I know that woman, you know, this woman. I know, uh, you know, this shop owner, that shop owner. So reach out to everybody you can. Google is your friend, you know, Google. And if you're going to be in Australia, Google homebrew shops in Australia, hop farms in Australia. And, you know, cold call, you know, send, you know, take your time, you know, polish up your letter, you know, have somebody else read it to make sure that there's no typos. It, it doesn't sound like a serial killer, stuff like that, you know, where, you know, craft a really nice letter, you know, include, you know, maybe your, you know, your, your resume, you know, showing that, uh, you know, you've accomplished things or you, you know, you've studied or whatever, you know, whatever abilities you have, or, you know, write a nice letter just saying how, you know, how hardworking you are and how dedicated you are to the craft and all that. And cold call, send them out to all those. Once you Google, they all have info at or, you know, some sort of contact email, send it out and ask everybody. It's like, I would like a job, you know, I'm willing to work hard. And you'd be, you'd be shocked at how well that works. Um, I will say, I do have a contact for you. That's a little late for you, I assume. But uh, my, my good friend, John Preston at uh, Grain and Grape in Yarraville, wonderful guy. When I was out there in Melbourne, he took me to the Tigers game. He watched the, the, the Tigers team. I had a horrible like 105 degree fever uh, during the game. And I was kind of losing my mind and didn't really know where I was. But I remember going and seeing a little bit of, of the Tigers game there. And it was a blast. Really great guy. Great shop. Really, really fantastic. If you check him out, John Preston, Grain and Grape, Yarraville. I will tell you, anybody out there, you know, you're near Yarraville, check, check him out. I was a, a big fan of, of uh, the Grain and Grape. But you know, you've done, you, I mean, you've mentioned in more than one show, your philosophy in general on how to get a job and how to show up and where to be and so forth. So, so where, you know, you, Ben just asked this question and didn't get a direct answer for, yeah, who cares how long? No, no big deal. But um, you often advise, you know, show up. Seven plus years. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? But hey, you it's, it's for the the other listeners who may have a similar question. <laughs> and exactly. what I've learned is somebody asks a question. Mm-hmm. There's lots of other people who have the same question. But but you've advised similarly through the years. Show up mm-hmm. on time is late. Yep. Right. Yep. You'd be um, there early. Right. Um, hopefully, you're, you're willing to do more than you think you're willing to do, or more than you you think mm-hmm. they want you to do or need you to do. And hopefully you don't show up saying, I'm going to do this because mm-hmm. I can promise you when you show up for any job, you don't know what you're doing until they tell you what they want you to do. Well, and have some humility, you know, go in Absolutely. and it's like, I want to learn mm-hmm. You know, in your, in your, your letter to these folks, tell them, it's like, I want to learn. I have some experience, but I know there is a lot I can learn from you, which is why I'm reaching out to you. I want to, you know, better myself and be an important part of this industry. And you have knowledge and, you know, quality that I want to emulate. 
in my career. That's why I want to, that's why I want to work with you. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you think they're horrible. Well, then if you think they're horrible, don't, don't, don't Don't apply. Don't apply. (laughs) But yeah, don't, don't go in there and go like, yeah, here's my homebrew. Here's how your beer sucks. And my beer is great. Go ahead and get a small business loan and open up your own brewery if that's your case. Exactly. Yes. Yes. That is that is a fact. Is and a fact. I don't mean that. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, if your beer is that good, just do it. But right, you're not going right. to get a job with that attitude. Is all I'm saying. Right. Yeah. There are places where, and I also say this: every business out there could use some improvement. Mm-hmm. Every business out there is not doing everything absolutely perfect all the time. Exactly. Uh, you know, people who are not in the business sometimes they have it in their minds that they know everything and they would do it this way and all that. It's like, no, no, no. Until you've walked a mile in their shoes, don't be telling them how to do everything. Go in and just show them a little respect. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, I think that's the reason a lot of homebrewers get, get turned down. I hear it from a lot of other brewers. I'd be like, yeah, they'll come in and they'll, They'll pour me a glass of their homebrew, which is nasty. And then they'll tell me about how my beers could improve. And if I only did this, if I only did that, and it's just like, it's all I could keep from punching them, you know, like, yep. Don't go in and, you know, tell people that you know, their beer sucks. The rest of your friends are wonderful, Jim Bill. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, anyway. Yeah. So. But the, the lesson to learn here is if you want some really good sage advice in your career, think seven years ahead. <laughs> there you go. Right. You should have asked this, this question back in, uh, in uh, 2008. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's the matter with you, uh, Dan. You should, you should be more on the ball. How are you going to get a job if you're not eight years in advance? Trevor asks, hey, guys, thanks for always for the show and taking the time to answer questions. Is there a preferred sequence to when certain ingredients get mashed in? If you're using acidulated malt, should that go in before or after mineral adjustments? Is it better to mash in base malt before darker malts to minimize tannin extraction from higher temp strike water? Cheers, Trevor. Uh, what's your thoughts? Drawing a blank. I mean, I, I don't. I, I add it all in up front. Right. Um, I just do it. And if, if the recipe's not right, I adjust the, I adjust the recipe. So, yeah, I, I'm waiting for your answer, honestly, because your experience is far more vast than mine is. Right. So, you know, there's the, the, the tannins are essentially more are, are more or less equal across all the malts. I imagine the it may be possible for higher kilning to affect the tannins on a grain, possibly. I don't know. Some of the grains do not have husks or huskless. Right. Yeah. Have a, a vastly lower tannin uh, uh, present in those because the tannins are mainly from the husk of the malt. Um, Can- can we maybe get past Trevor's question on tannins, tannins and 
and you, you, you're, you're well familiar with, you know, some people like to add their roast malt towards the end mm -hmm. and, and despite tannins or otherwise, right. do you feel there's really a reason to add some coffee grinds towards the end, AKA roasted malts no. versus through the whole 60 minutes? No, it's, it's uh, that's, I won't say it's stupid, but I think that people are missing the point that, um, you can just add less. Okay. Yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah, but uh, you almost did say stupid, but but no, it's not stupid. But no, no, it's just, just yeah. you know, it's it's a time, you know, and a liquid and a temperature thing. Contact. Um, right. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's not, it's not that you're somehow extracting something, you know, unwanted mm -hmm. by leaving it in there longer. It's, it's the same thing. It's uh, not tannins. And, and that's how I felt. But again, your experience is far more vast than mine is. So but, if you're getting you too know, much roast, don't back off on the time, back off on the roast. Right. Just use less. Yeah. Right. Like, it's too roasty. It's like, oh, I'll put it in later. It's like, <laughs> no, just put less in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then you have to worry about it. I, I always put everything in at the at the at one time i would mill everything and i would actually mix i'd do base malt and then i'd throw in my specialty grains and then i'd do more base malt and i'd have it all mixed in so when it was all you know mixed throughout the whole thing the same thing acidulated malt before after mineral adjustments i all the grain goes in then the mineral adjustments and uh, ph checks and all that base malt for darker malts all at the same time so, uh, and you've gone back to homebrewing. I mean, I know you're brewing bitters and so forth. Your your uh, your strike water, et cetera, is some form of filtered, but not treated. It's not hot liquor. It's just water. Right. So what I'm doing now is my instant hot water heater. I just hook up a hose to that thing, mm -hmm. and uh, I run it through a carbon block mm -hmm. and uh, into the kettle. So I, I'm starting off with. 120 some odd degree water so mm -hmm. it, it gets me going quicker and then i you know hit the burners and uh <laughs> i uh get it up uh, get it up to to temp i will do an acid adjustment mm -hmm. to drop the ph down to around five six or five seven it depends on the recipe and then yeah. once you add the grains they pull the the ph down a little further depending on mm -hmm. the depending on the the grains you're, you're using mm -hmm. uh, whether it's roast uh, etc and then uh yeah but all we need to chop problems. that piece that little piece right there we need to chop and put out on because that's going to blow everybody away that's doing ro oh yeah so with ro you make your water first you add your malt and check your ph you're not um, doing ro you're doing carbon block but your water quality is significantly better than using water quality Right. Um, I, I can't just carbon block here. Yeah, that's outstanding. That that's what you do, and that's what you can do. Well, it really is. But if you use RO, um, yeah, your pH must be really low. It it's it's like nothing and nothing, and any tweak makes it crazy. Because there's well, nothing I mean, in there, right? Well, I mean, once you add your add your grain, oh, when I when I add, well, sorry, when I add my water. well, I guess if it's all pale, well, yeah, hmm. yeah. If I was using RO, I would personally, I would first add my mineral adjustments to to make my water, 
then I would then I would add my grains and then I would do any adjustments after that. Right. That's what I do. Typically, Um, I I add uh, less acid than expected, plus my adjustments to make my water, add my grain and then check my pH, obviously, before I add any more acid. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I would I would add all my minerals or at least some of the minerals before that. Yeah, the I mean the traditional thing is, you know, there's already minerals in your water. You add your grains and then you do your other mineral adjustments after that. You can do it you can do it prior to that, but some of the minerals won't really have any effect or they'll, you know, they'll they'll drop out uh, to the bottom if you don't have the grains in there to, you know, yeah. that you're the grains affect the pH and the buffering of the solution. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I so, have a paint mixer and I try to mix them in sometimes. And sometimes right. they don't mix in. Cause I, I set my I set my water up the night before mm-hmm. because uh because not intentionally a plug, my mm-hmm. anvil foundry, I can tell it to wake up at five o'clock in the morning and bring up to mash town mm-hmm. or plus two degrees, three degrees. And so I come in at six AM and I readjust the temperature and dump my uh malt in so i've made my water the night before my h my h my hot liquor is in my mash tun waiting for me mm-hmm. and sometimes it mixes sometimes it doesn't want to mix <laughs> it's just so much right i mean it mm-hmm. needs that malt to offset it right well so you might want to put in um you know maybe half of of your mineral additions into your RO or some or three quarters and then the rest, you know, or, you know, two thirds, one third and the rest after adding your grain. And so you're probably about to announce your, your next question. Patrick has something in the uh, chat. If you have a chance to look at it before we move on to the next or we just move on to the next and come back to Patrick. I'm, I'm out of questions. I think we're oh, good. Uh, almost out of show here. Let's see. Patrick says any advice on scaling up roast malts or other tips? When brewing larger batches, our home club gets the occasional invite to brew two barrel batches in our local brewery. The scaling from five to 10 gallon batches doesn't seem to be linear adjustment. Efficiency changes I expected, but the roasted malts require adjustment on our imperial stout. I think we did a show on scale. <laughs> you did. You did. And I have one comment before you correct me. <laughs> I like to go. I like to go first because once you say the right thing, I have nothing to add. You sound like we're married at this point. I, I got one a wife. comment you before you correct me. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> I see how it may sound. You know, I say it lovingly, just yes. like a marriage. Yes, dear. So, so I would I would look at equipment differences mm. more. I mean, because 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 uh, with Patrick saying that's not a very large scale different mm. five to ten gallons that's going to be more the equipment when you go maybe 10 barrels maybe that's more than just equipment because mm. um i i often assume you get better you used to get better efficiency than me at, at heretic uh on your mash i can get i can get low 80s right. on uh, my foundry high 70s on my mash on Ice chest, but you you told me Heretic was getting low eighties. I think uh, efficiency on mash like eighty five. That's mid eighties. We ended up pushing up a little higher than that, maybe eighty eight at, at one point. So that's I where mean, I we never we never really cared about efficiency. Right, right, but but it makes a difference on your extract. 
Yes. Right. Right. So, Not yeah. Not just the sugars, but also the colors and the other flavors. Right. And so I've always said, you know, scaling beer recipes is linear, mainly because people talk about hop, hop efficiency. I'm like, no, that's the same. You know, you're, you're, you know, if you have a wort at a given gravity and you add X amount of hops and you boil it, you're, you're going to get the same unless you're not reaching a, you know, 212 degrees in your homebrew or not in your commercial. And, you know, it's, it's the whirlpool time and the knockout time in the commercial that is missing from homebrew that ends up with a much higher uh, efficiency on the hops or much higher bittering extraction on the hops because it takes hours and a homebrew oh, yeah, yeah. is done in 15 minutes or 30 minutes. Right. You yeah, throw yeah. the immersion chiller in there and it pretty much stops. That's where the difference comes in scaling those. It's not some efficiency of hopping. Now, what you're saying though, Travis is, is absolutely right. Um, if you're scaling, you know, a, a, a batch, yeah, ten gallon to two barrel doesn't, yeah, that that seems really like it shouldn't be that big a difference. I would wonder. Well, all right, you have multiple thought paths going here. One, I'd be like, well, you know, is the water the same? Is everything else the same? There's other issues. Are the grains the same? Because one one manufacturers, one maltsters. Uh, chocolate malt or 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 black malt is different than another one one there's black malts that are 350 love bond there's black malts that are 650 love bond so yeah i mean they could be different if you're not using the same ingredients exact same ingredients they can vary they can even vary a maltster batch to batch can vary considerably so that could be an issue but what travis is referring to is that the efficiency of the extract for a a brewery if you are extracting more sugars and you get um you know x number of points uh, per gallon from your grain and you're you're extracting more sugars you're 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 using less of those grains to get the the, the same amount of sugars if you scale everything to match that, so you don't need as much and you're going with, well, I only need, you know, 5% of roast barley. Well, your roast barley amount has gone down too. So you can end up with not enough roast barley character in that because the, the roast barley, you're not generally speaking, you sh- you shouldn't experience a higher extraction or lower extraction in the commercial versus the homebrew, unless you're putting it in at different times or whatever. That should extract pretty much the same. It may not be, but it should pretty much extract the same. So if you're using less of it because the base malt is extracting better on the commercial system and you're doing a percentage, you're going to end up with not enough you know, roast malt character in your finished beer on the commercials. It 
could be the reverse, but that's harder to justify. <laughs> but, I think it looks like the reverse. If you back off the base malt mm-hmm. and you hold your barley malt, then you've really increased your percent. Right. So it looks reverse. It looks like, oh, I got crazy amounts of bar- uh, of that roast barley. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, but it's also 8% now because you backed off your base malt. I it's mean, very interesting. The other, the other factors you need to go, which you were t- referring to earlier, was depends on the equipment, right? So yeah. if somebody's doing brew in a bag, they're going to get less rinsing probably than the commercial one where you're sparging on top, you fly sparging, and you're rinsing more of those the roast product out. So that could be an issue too. But in general, it should pretty much be linear, except for if you're changing your grist amounts on, if you're changing your grist amounts on efficiency, that's what kind of starts screwing with things. But again, grist amounts and efficiency have nothing to do with your hops, your hop additions. <laughs> that's because they're your, your, your to work at that point. And that has to do with time, time and temperature. So, and volume, that's it. So those are very linear. So Patrick, does that help you in any way? You said the roast malts required adjustment on our pure stop. Did you have to adjust them up or down on the, on the commercial batch? And I would bet that the answer, as always, Jamil, is through it a couple of times, see how it comes out. True. Yeah. Often you have to make adjustments. Right. But, you know, what I found from doing the. Makes sense. We adjust it up. Right. So that's what I was saying was the efficiency was higher on the commercial system. So you adjusted your total grains down. You're working with percentage, which is generally the right thing to do. But you had to adjust that up when you just for efficiency, you've got to maintain the same amount of. Once you've multiplied up, you stick with that roast amount because it doesn't really provide that much sugars. So it doesn't mess with. So yeah, there you go. All right. We should we should write something up that that, that explains all this. Nailed it. Lower efficiency on the own per kit. Higher efficiency on the on a pro kit. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so you ended up with less roast in there. Yeah. Um, it's interesting how it works. You 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 can't. You, you kind of maybe you can scale the whole recipe linearly, but you feel like you just need to back off that base malt to get a little bit less sugar. Mm-hmm. And then you might end up heavy on roast if you just do that. If you back the whole thing down, you might end up light on roast. Right. Yeah. I mean, the guys that know how to scale it, such as Jamil, it's because they've done it a couple hundred times. Well, and, you know, the, the, like I said, the thing I found in doing that Canyon Brew it was, Everything is scalable and it and it works. Um, you know, it's it tends to be you know a time and temperature and volume thing. Um, not not necessarily you know that commercial equipment is that much better. You you can make God's gift to beer. The best beer in the world will be made on a homebrew system, not a commercial system, if you ask me. So, there you go. All right. Another good show. Make sure to uh, reach out to our fine sponsors, Josh and RJ at BrewChatter.com. Reach out to John Blickman, feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. He essentially set that up just to collect comments from the show. 
Because I kept saying feedback, and he was like, we don't have a feedback implement engineering email address. <laughs> so he set it up. I told him to set it up, so he did. So well, It took eight years for him to hear a show. He, he, he appreciates, he gets these, and he actually enjoys them. And uh, he tells me, he's like, yeah, people are very nice and very complimentary. So, uh, as you all should be, because the guy's, he's actually paying cash for you guys to be able to listen to this for free. So I think that's very sweet of him. He, that's how much he loves homebrewers and uh, why he deserves our support. And thank you, my friend, Travis, uh, for joining me on this. I, I had a good time. You were, uh, you're wonderful to, wonderful to travel with. Wonderful to brew with, wonderful to go to football games with, and uh, wonderful to do shows with. So until then, everybody, brew strong. Brew strong. Brew strong.